Trevor, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you have never been to our church before, we'd like to welcome you. Uh, as a church, we are a people who are kind of from all over the place. We, some of us were born in Los Angeles, many of us were born other places. We vote for different political parties, we have different economic philosophies. Uh, uh, we live in different parts of town. We are of different classes and races, and nevertheless, we are bound together week by week by, by the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. We, we find him to be incredible. We, we find him to be compelling. He has given us a new life. He has changed our lives, and it's our desire to see every person's life transformed by the very love of God that has changed us. And so it is good to be with all of you this morning. Thank you for joining us. We are in the Gospel of John together. We have been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of John these last few weeks. I'm thankful for Austin who taught last week on uh, Jesus uh, declaring that he is the Son of God, that he is the light in the darkness to believe in him and the significance and importance of that. Um, and now we kind of mark a pivoting point in the Gospel of John and in the life of Jesus as we've emerged from our Christmas season and we look forward together to Easter and, and before that, um, Ash Wednesday, the Lent season, Good Friday, and then Easter. Hey, before we dive in, I want to say congratulations to Malachi Stevens. Dan and Sarah Stevens had a baby this last week, which was awesome, a boy named Malachi. The church is blessed with the third Stevens boy. Look out, church. Here we go. Here we go. Very exciting. Um, all right, if you have a Bible, would you open up to John chapter 13? And that's where we're going to spend some time together this morning. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I grew up in a town called Fremont, which was sort of in the suburbs of the San Francisco Bay Area, about 20 minutes uh, southeast of Oakland. And I grew up in a home where my parents were not together for most of my childhood. So I spent a good portion of my childhood um, visiting my grandparents with, with whom my father lived every other weekend. So I spent most of the time with my mother, but then every other weekend my brother and I would get picked up and we would head to my grandparents' house, which was awesome. My grandparents had a pool, um, they had uh, video games, uh, they had a, a nice house. My grandfather was um, not just, was he, not, he, was a, he was a barber in part of one of his many careers. He was a barber, so we would get our hair cut in the garage from my grandfather. And it was, uh, it was wonderful to spend every other weekend with my grandparents and with my father. And growing up uh, in my grandparents' house, I remember I have these distinct memories. And one of those memories involves uh, my grandmother coming to uh, my brother and I uh, one day and, and telling us that we needed to help clean the house. And we were happy to do so. We were happy to you know, get our hands dirty, grab some cleaner, do what we need to do to get the house clean. But I think at some point my brother or myself had asked my grandmother, you know, why? Which is a typical question that children ask. Why do you want us to help clean the house? We're here to swim in the pool. We're here to play games. We're here to have fun. We're here to get our hair cut. We're not here to clean. Why do you want us to clean the house? And I remember my grandmother saying that the reason she needed the help cleaning the house was because the next day the cleaners were going to come over. 
Now, that was sort of odd, right? My grandparents had a cleaning service that they had hired, and every week the cleaning service came over on a particular day, and they cleaned the house. And so my grandmother was coming to me, and she was asking me and my brother if we would help clean the house before, you know, the house cleaners would come over. And that was very confusing for me as a child. I didn't really understand the idea of, of why you would do that. Some of you may have house cleaners now. You may pay someone, and maybe you now really understand the point of that. You've got someone who comes over, and maybe you have this idea, which is, hey, there are, there are messes in our house that we want to take care of, so when the house cleaner comes over, maybe for some of you, you want the house cleaner to clean other things. You've got other priorities, and you don't want them to get caught up with the dishes or the dirt on, on the, the sweeping the floors or things like that. For others of you, maybe you've got a house cleaner and you've got an interesting deal going with your house cleaner where you've created a facade. Your house cleaner just thinks that your house is cleaner than it is. And the reason they think that is because you go out of your way to make sure that it's cleaned before they come over. There's something very strange about allowing someone to come into your space and to clean up your mess. The mess, the spill, the stench, the... The, the inside of the fridge, the, the nooks and the crannies, the places in our houses, in our homes, in our lives that are messy. There's something very strange about allowing a person that we don't know to access that part of our world, to get in there with the elbow grease, and to clean it. I almost guarantee that most of you, not all of you, but most of you, if you knew that someone was coming over, if you were having guests, there's a good chance you're going to clean up before the guests come over. Not just because you want to create a nice, warm, welcoming, clean environment, but in part because you don't want people to see the mess. The reality is, over time, sometimes with kids, sometimes life, sometimes busyness, sometimes the chaos of our world, the result is that our lives start to get kind of messy. Our homes can get messy. Our cars can get messy. There are spaces and places in your life right now that if I, if I didn't try to keep your attention, your mind might wander to this Sunday afternoon, the cleaning you need to do in some place in your life. This morning's passage in this morning's text deals with the tension of the filth, the mess, and the stench in our lives and wrestles with the idea that, that Jesus wants to clean you up. And your natural tendency is not going to want to say, yes, I want to be clean, but to probably say, no, 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 I can clean myself up. The passage in John 13 we're looking at this morning deals with Jesus cleaning your filth. Jesus in John chapter 12 had just said that he had come into the world to save it. That he had come into the world as light in the darkness. That his time has come. He has his eyes focused on the cross and what's ahead. Much of what we will cover in the gospel of John in the weeks ahead will only take the course of about a week of time. So Jesus can see the cross. He knows where he's headed. He knows what he's come for. And now here in John chapter 13, he is with the disciples and he's going to give them a powerful illustration, an illustration that serves two purposes. 
So first, if you're with me, let's dive into the text we're looking at this morning, a text that is explicitly and implicitly about how Jesus wants to deal with your uncleanliness, wants to deal with your filth. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. If you've got it in front of you, say, got it. All right, here we go. John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, verse 6, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In John chapter 13, like I said, Jesus has his eyes on the cross. And he knows what's coming. He knows where we're headed. It says in verses 1 through 3 that he is driven by 
by the time, right, the, the text says that he sees that the hour is, is here. And so he knows that his time is coming. He's got limited time. He's driven by his time. It also says that he loved those that he loved to the end, that he's driven by love. He also sees that the enemy is on the move. The same enemy that Jesus said a couple of weeks ago will be defeated at the cross is still very much active in his disciples, specifically in the prompting of one of them, Judas. So Jesus sees that now's the time. He, sees his, he knows his love that he has for his disciples. He sees the enemy at work. And so he's driven. He knows, it says in verse 1 through 3, he knows who he is. He knows that he has come from the Father. Jesus knows what he has come to do. He knew his mission. His mission is the cross. He was born. We celebrate this on Christmas. He was born, right? The incarnation is the coming of God to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh. He comes to us at Christmas, but he comes to die. That's part of his mission. And he knew the cross was coming. He knew that's where he was going. And so in light of that, in light of his mission, in light of his love, in light of his identity, in light of his knowing where he came from and where he's going, he makes a, he makes a decision to act decisively in this moment. Not to earn anything. What we're about to read, Jesus doesn't do in order to earn anything. He acts in order to reveal something to us. Something you and I need to see with clear eyes this morning. He acts, he gets up to demonstrate something that we need to know about the character and nature of God. He's going to teach something that we need to hear. Later on in the Bible, Paul, the apostle, when writing to the church in Philippi, will speak of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, a very famous early Christian hymn. Paul will say that in your relationships with one another, you're to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, though he was in very nature, in his being, he was very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus acts decisively in this text. He gets up and does a dramatic action that, that reveal at least two things that we're going to focus on this morning. First, Jesus is he's, he's pointing to his work, and then he's also giving us some work to do. So it's both about what it is that he is doing and about the character and nature of God, but it's also about what we must do and need to do. So here's where we're going to be this morning, just kind of two places. First, Jesus wants you to know and for you to see and for you to understand this morning that Jesus, that God must wash you. He must wash you you. And secondly, that, that, that we must wash others. So first, he must wash you. That's the first heart of the text, is what the text is about. We must wash, he must wash you. And secondly, that we must wash others. So first, he must wash you. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. They're laying down, relaxing around a table as they would have done, eating a meal. And then Jesus gets up to perform a task that 
there's almost no comparison for the task that he's about to do. He's going to wash his disciples' feet. Feet are gross. Feet are gross. We, it's amazing how gross feet are, given how much we protect them. When our kids were little, we would take them to Disneyland. And we would have these long, wonderful days in Disneyland. And they would be a fantastic family experience. And every single time we left Disneyland, inevitably, it would end with this horrific moment of us driving home in the dark, in the cold, up Interstate 5, with the windows up, the heater on, and we would catch a whiff of something just truly awful. One of our toddlers would have decided in a moment of comfortable sort of relaxation in the car to take off their shoes after a long day of walking at Disneyland. And it would fill the car with, in a, with a stench that would just, it was horrific, right? We would roll down the windows. It was just terrible. Some of my, some of my friends um, who are Asian have a rule which is like in their home, they, you don't even bring your shoes. You take your shoes off when you enter the home. Others of you may do this too, but there's some real wisdom there. Shoes are gross. Feet are gross. There's a lot of medical professions that people get into, why anybody would want to work with feet. Man, I'm thankful they do it. I don't get why they would do it. Feet are gross. And in Jesus' world, feet are way grosser than our feet are today. No socks, all sandals, no concrete, all dirt, all dust. Feet are so gross that even Jews in Jesus' day who had Jewish servants would not make their Jewish servants wash the feet of their guests. There's great debate in history about who is so unqualified that they would have the task of getting up close and personal with the filthy feet of the guests and have to do the work of washing them. And the debate comes down to, much of the Roman world comes down to, or the Jewish world is this, well, maybe the Gentile servants can do that because they're kind of a dirty people and they should be given the dirty work to do. But most people would say, even my servants, and that, that's work that's too low, it's too gross. And so in this moment at the meal, at the dinner table, Jesus gets up to do the grossest thing that you could really do as an act of service to others. He's, he's doing the thing that you'd think he would never do. Do you notice the text wants you to see Jesus came from God. Jesus is returning to God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to wash his disciples' feet. He is higher than the heavens. He is the creator of all the universe. If anyone has the right to have their feet washed, it's him. But rather than him asking the disciples in this moment in preparation for the cross to say, hey, you know what? I'm God. Why don't you guys wash my feet? Jesus instead says, no, no, no. That's not how it's going to work. I'm going to wash your feet. The God who had taken on flesh 
We sing about him at Christmas, right? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. God had come to us in the person of Jesus. God is among the disciples and he comes to serve. Jesus will even say to his disciples at one point, he will say that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes not just to not just to live and to show us what the character of God is like, though that's happening here certainly. He also comes to serve, to be crushed, to be disgraced, to cleanse me and to cleanse you, to bear the cost of your guilt, your shame, your sins, your filth. Many of us, we... Um, we like results, we want change, but we do not like bearing the cost. There's a, a popular idea, it happens even in our city, it's called a NIMBYism, right? NIMBYism stands for not in my backyard. We have a culture where people look at the homeless and they look at the poor and they look at the drug addicted and they really do want something to happen but they don't want housing built in their neighborhood. They, they don't want recovery centers built close by them. They don't want, not in my backyard. I want something to be done. I just don't want it to cost me anything. And that's common. It's normal for many of us to say, I really want that problem to be solved. I just don't want it to cost me anything. And as we look at a broken world that's filled with sin and hatred and injustice and oppression and despair, as we look at that world, we might ask ourselves the question, how does the world get put right and who is going to bear the cost? And Jesus shows up and Jesus says, I am. I've come to bear the cost. I've come to absorb the cost. I've come to deal with what has been done to you. The injustice that's been done to you, the abuse that's been done to you, the ways that people have sinned against you, I have come to deal with it. I've come to pay for it. But not just what's been done to you, but what you have done the ways you have hurt others, the way you've failed to love your neighbors, the way you've looked the other way when people have needed the sins we call in the church, sins of commission, things that we do, and the sins of omission, when we fail to act as we should. And, and you're all guilty of that, as am I. And Jesus shows up and says, I have come to deal with that as well. It is his purpose we live in a not-my-job world. I recently was at the, the hardware store. I found myself in a section where I was talking to a gentleman, and I said, hey, I need some help in the plumbing section. And he was like, yeah, no problem. I'll send someone right over. And I said, okay, great. So I went over there, and I waited, and no one came. So I went back to him. I found him, and I said, hey, man, no one came over to the plumbing section. I got kind of a simple question. Can you help me with that? He goes, no, that's not my section. I can't help you. I'll call someone over. I said, well, you just called someone over. No one came. He said, well, I'll do it again. I said, okay. 
I guess I'll go wait again. So I went and waited again, and no one came over. And I went back to him and said, hey, I really, I just need, like, it's not a complicated question. Do you think you can help me? And he said, sir, that's not my section. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? His attitude was just so simply, that's not my job. I don't do that. I can't. I'm like, you work here. I don't work here. I know nothing about plumbing. You at least work near the stuff. But his attitude was not my job. And that's common today. Not my job. Jesus shows up and says, it's my job. I'll deal with it. The world is cruel. People are greedy and sinful. Things are wrong. We have been mistreated and we mistreat others. Who's going to bear the cost for your sin and mine? And Jesus says, I will. And this act he does in John 13, he wants his disciples to see that his action here, the washing of the feet, is pointing to what he's going to do on the cross. His work on the cross will deal with all of the sins of the world. That's his mission. And forgiveness of sin and cleansing by God is the only way to freedom. He's washing feet to symbolize what he's going to do, what, that he needs to wash us because we need to be cleansed. And notice here, I love this, you need to see this. Jesus isn't forced to wash their feet. Because part of what he wants you to know is that he's not forced to go to the cross. He volunteers to do that. He's not under obligation to wash feet. He is showing us the very nature and character of God. You see, when you and I, when we die, we are victims of death. When we die, we will, death will, 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 we will become victims of death. But when Jesus dies, he is not a victim of death. He chooses to die. He chooses to lower himself so that we might be set free, cleansed, forgiven, and made new. He wants them to see that he's come to cleanse them. You need to see this. Jesus comes to clean you. Now, now this is not comfortable this is not easy for us, right? We don't like this. And that's because there's a couple, there's a couple of two, at least two kinds of people that are here this morning. Some of you, you don't like this because you already think you're clean. You're like, your attitude is, I don't need to be clean. And the reason you, you think you're, I don't need to be cleansed because I'm already clean. Some of you think that, and that's because of two reasons. Some of you, you look around the world and you see people who are worse than you. You see people who are dirtier than you. And because you think that they're dirtier than you, you then see yourself as clean. Our world functions like this constantly. Right? We are constantly comparing ourselves to one another. Some of us, we go onto social media, we read the news, we, we, we talk, we have friends. Some of you have friendships with people who are worse than you, and one of the pleasures you get out of that relationship is how it makes you feel better about yourself. 
Some of you, you feel clean, not because you're clean, but because you're comparing yourselves to others and you go, well, I'm not like that person. Well, I'm not like them. Well, at least I'm not like that awful person. And so you feel clean. Rather than comparing yourself to God, who is holy, who is perfect, who is the creator, rather than, rather than comparing yourself to Jesus, you compare yourself to others and feel like you're clean. So some of you, you think you're clean because you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. Others of you, the reason you think you're clean is because you blame your uncleanliness on what has been done to you. Now hear me. Some of you, right, the reason you sin in particular ways is because you have been sinned against in particular ways. We are byproducts of our families, our upbringings, our relationships. But, but too often in our world, we like to blame every defect in us on someone else. It's the government's fault. It's a system's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my friend's fault. And what happens is we can begin to develop the kind of life where we never are able to be honest about our own sin and brokenness. And we have all of these platforms for self-justification where we just go around telling other people that the reason we're messed up is because we're the victims of everything else gone awry. Now, I'm not demeaning in any way, shape, or form the reality that some of us are victims of horrific things. But what we need to understand is that the sin that exists in our lives is not just because we have been sinned against, but because we find within ourselves the same corruption that we have experienced from others. We find glimpses, shadows, hints of it in ourselves as well. Some of you need to be made aware of the reality that you are not as clean as you think you are. And, and I, I, like I, my hope and my prayer is that as you are looking at Jesus, as you're thinking about your life, that God would make it clear to you that you have a tendency to tell people to do things that you don't do. That you don't have the ability to just stop sinning, that you can't make a decision right now, I'm never going to sin again, because what will happen is before you get in the car this morning, you're likely to tell a little lie, you're likely to deceive, you're likely to think too highly of yourself, you are likely to do something that can only be characterized as unholy. So some of us, the reason we don't like the idea of God saying, I need to clean you, is because we're like, hey, I'm already clean. Look around. These people are terrible. I'm great. Or the only reason I'm unclean is because people have done terrible things to me. And so actually, I'm good. Some of us are there. Others of us are like Peter. Look at what Peter does. Peter says, when Jesus comes to Peter in verses 6 through 8, Peter says, no way are you washing me. See, some of us, the reason we don't think that God needs to clean us is because we already think we're clean. Others of us, the reason we don't want God to clean us is because we think we can clean ourselves. I would venture to say that if you have any kind of faith, if you're Christian or interested in Christianity or here this morning, you, you're probably aware of this idea. And it's probably where you're at. That You probably go, no, I know that I have sin in my life, but... 
I can't allow Jesus to wash me. I can't allow God to cleanse me. I need to clean myself. And we try to clean ourselves by doing a couple things. Some of us are trying to clean ourselves by just doing more good things than bad things. Right? We've got a messed up past. We've, we've done, there's things that have gone wrong. We, and, the, and we say, well, that was bad back there, but I can make up for it by doing a lot of good. Right? As if, as if what God's going to say to us is, oh, uh, you're innocent of all of those things that you're guilty of because you did these nice things as well. So some of us, we are constantly in a state of trying to earn ourselves looking clean before God, being like, God, don't look at that infraction. Don't look at that transgression. Don't look at that sin. Instead, look at all the good things that I've done. So some of us, we say, God, you can't clean me because I can clean myself. Look at all the good I'm doing. Others of us who aren't in that camp, we try to just do it by making amends. So we go back into our past, and we just say, all right, God, we say to the, not always to God, but we say to people, hey, uh, I'm sorry about that thing I did. I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I hurt you. I'm sorry for the way that, 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 that the, 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 that's not, that's who I was, but it's not who I am now. And our expectation is that maybe if we go back and say sorry to people in the past, that that will somehow fix the world. And so Peter is standing before Jesus in John 13. And when Jesus comes to him, look at Peter's attitude. Jesus is in front of him, and Peter is saying to Jesus, you will not clean me. And it looks like humility. But I want you to see this morning that it's arrogance. Some humilities are the deepest arrogance. Jesus is the Lord of all creation, is on his knees before Peter, washing Peter's feet. And, and, and Peter's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Sometimes the reason that people don't come to know God is because they are looking in the wrong place. You see, some people, when they want to find God, they look up to the highest heavens, and they look out and they go, God, where are you? And they, they see no evidence of God. But I want you to see that John 13 shows us that, that sometimes the place we need to look to see God is not high up above us in the highest heaven, but below us, longing to wash our feet. And some of us are too prideful, too arrogant, and too deceived to allow him to do that. You need to know this morning that God wants to wash you. He wants to cleanse you. But you have to let him clean you. Because look at what Jesus says in John 13, verse 8. He says to Peter, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Like the heart of the gospel in a sentence, Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you can have no part with me. Brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, only God can clean you, but you have to let him clean you. You have to let him into the nooks and crannies. You have to let the light flood in to the places and spaces where your, where your deepest, darkest sins and idols have kind of, kind of, kind of put their 
there clenches into your soul. You have to let the light flood in. You have to give God the key to your secret closets. He already sees them. He sees your filth. And he wants to clean it. I love how Peter overreacts. Peter says, all right, fine, fine. Do my feet, do my head, do my hands, do my whole body. Peter is so much like us. I love, every time I'm reading the Bible, I just go, man, I really, I understand where Peter's at. Fine, Jesus, take everything, clean everything. He overreacts. And Jesus says, Jesus says, Peter, I only need to clean your feet right now. Peter has trusted in Jesus. Peter has already been made clean. But Jesus also wants Peter to know that not everybody in the room is clean. In fact, there's one who isn't clean, to Judas. But to Peter, Peter needs to know, no, Peter, I'm, I'm, you are clean. You are in me. You have trusted me. You've given yourself to me. Peter, you're, you, I've, I've got you, Peter. I've got you. You are entrusting me completely clean. Some of you this morning as I was praying through this text, I, I just some of you need to know that if you have trusted Jesus, you are completely clean, even if you don't believe it yourself. Here, here's what used to happen to me. Some of you are probably in this boat. I've shared this, uh, I shared this recently with someone. When I, when I was in my teens and in my 20s, this was my posture before God. I would follow the Lord. I would want to serve him and I want to obey him. I want to do what he wanted me to do. I would sin. I would mess up. I would feel guilty. Then what I would do is I would, um, I would not say this to God. I would say this to myself. I would say uh, to myself, I'm going to get a few days of a victory in my life and then I will approach God again. So my attitude was, um, I've messed up, and I, 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 it could create distance between me and God, and then I will get back with God, I will get close to God after I've got a few W's, right, under, under my belt, or after I've got a few days of victory, then I can go to God and be like, God, look at me. I know I sinned on Thursday, but now it's next Tuesday, and look at what I've done. Look at how we can be at peace again. And I did that when I was in my, tens, in my teens and in my 20s. And as I got into my 30s, one thing that kind of dramatically shifted in my life was me coming to the realization that after I had sinned, I could not clean myself. And rather than creating intimacy with God and experiencing the cleansing of God and experiencing the knowledge of that cleansing and communion with God, instead I was buying into the belief that in order for me to be close to God, I had to clean myself up. When we sin, we can recognize that if we are in Christ, seeing our sin is a gift of the Spirit in us, we can repent in that moment and we can celebrate in the reality that God does not wait for you to be perfectly penitent. God does not wait for you to get some victory. God does not wait for you to clean yourself up before you come to him. He wants to clean you now. Jesus wants you to see God at your feet ready to clean you.
That's what he's going to do on the cross. So that's the first thing. Second thing, we must wash others. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says he not only is washing their feet as an example of how they need to be cleaned and how he's going to clean them and how we all need to be cleaned, but also he says that he did it as an example. In uh, Luke chapter 22, just before this text, the disciples are arguing over who has the power, who's going to be the greatest, who's, who's going to be lifted up. And Jesus, it's just right after this, after they're arguing about who's the greatest, that Jesus is demonstrating for them how they are to live in the world. That he sees power differently than they do. That they're fighting over status, and Jesus is showing them that the great life is the one of sacrificial love and service. And Jesus is demonstrating to the disciples that they are to understand that no one is to be beyond their service, that no one is to be beneath them. See, some of you, even though you are Christian, you've forgotten that no one is beneath you. No one is beneath your forgiveness. No one is beneath your service. No one is beneath your love. As a Christian, no one is beneath you. No one is unworthy of your love and sacrifice and service. And so Jesus washes their feet and says, I want you guys to see this. You're to learn from this. If you're going to be a, a child of light as I am the light, you must also wash people's feet. That must be the way to live. To be a Christian is to live in such a way that you believe that others come before yourself. Or as the Bible teaches it, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You want to be great? You've got to be the least. You want to be great? You've got to serve. That's what Jesus teaches. You want to live a life after me? That you've got to be known as a person of sacrificial love and service. You've got to take your eyes off of yourself and you've got to put it on others. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity talks about how you never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about the impression you're making on other people. That when I'm in a conversation with you and I'm just constantly thinking about myself and the kind of impression I'm making, you never make a good impression. You want to make a good impression on other people? When you're in conversation with them, don't think about you, think about them. Jesus is demonstrating that if they are to be followers of his, that the Christian life means that we too must be foot washers. Now, not literally. I'm not commanding you and saying that the Bible teaches that you need to, you know, get out your own rags and that you all need to start pedicure businesses. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. I'm saying in our practice of service, we must be people who are known as washing the feet of the other. Husbands who are here this morning... Your job is to wash your wife's feet. Wives, your job is to wash your husband's feet. Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, if you are Christian, your posture is supposed to be one of washing other people's feet. It's to be loving them, to be serving them for the good, towards the good. We are even called to wash the feet of our enemies. Let me ask you this morning, 
Whose feet do you need to wash? What does that look like? Maybe, maybe some of you this morning, you need to commit to praying for someone that you have not prayed for in a while. Someone that you've been like, you know what, I'm angry at them, I'm not going to pray for them. Some of you need to reconcile. You need to get together, forgive, and reconcile with someone. Some of you need to call someone that you have been avoiding calling. Some of you need to get a gift to that person. You need to serve them. Whatever it takes, everyone this morning who calls themselves a Christian must take seriously that Jesus believed that you must do this if you were to call yourself a Christian. You must wash others' feet. Whose feet do you need to wash this week? And let me just end by saying, we never wash anyone's feet in order to make ourselves clean. Martin Luther once said, God does not need your good works, your neighbor does. We don't wash others' feet in order to be right before God. We do it because we have experienced God washing us. And if you don't first get that, you'll never serve with the proper motivation. God wants to clean you. And then as he cleans you, wants you to walk in cleanliness. Most religions in the world teach this basic idea that what you do is you obey God, you do the right things, and then eventually you stand before God and hopefully if you obeyed God well enough, then you'll be accepted before God. Christianity teaches the opposite. It teaches that we are accepted and cleansed before we ever obey. Most religions teach obey, then get accepted. Christian faith teaches you are accepted by grace through faith, and then that leads to obedience. Jesus taught that God offers us cleansing before we ever obey. That we are accepted by God and cleansed by God, and then we become a people who practice this kind of radical foot washing. I want you to see that if Jesus did this for you, you can do it for others. That if God has washed your feet, then the world owes you nothing. That you are richer than you could ever imagine if the God of the universe has cleansed you, brought you into relationship with him. And that's the promise in Jesus, that in Jesus we go from being just made in the image of God to being children of God, to, be to being adopted sons and daughters of the king. And then we live the life that reflects that he is our Lord and that he is our teacher. So that's my hope for us this morning. First, that you would see that God has come to cleanse you and that you wouldn't be like Peter. For some of you, that you would know that you are unclean and that you would know that you can't clean yourself and that you would receive, you would, instead of looking up for God, you'd look down, you'd see Jesus offering to cleanse you and this morning you'd be clean. And for those of you who have been cleansed by God, that you would be a foot-washing kind of person, that you would follow in the footsteps of Jesus by washing the feet of others, that God would stir in your heart 
so that you might become a person who this week washes someone's feet who needs to be served and washed by you. Let's pray. Jesus, you went to the cross. No one forced you to go there. And you went to the cross so that we might be cleansed. Lord, it's our, our, our starting point often is to think, Lord, how do we serve you? But there's a danger in that, Lord, in that we can sometimes see you as the one who is in need when we are really the ones in need. And so, Lord, we thank you that in Jesus we get to see that you've come to clean us, that you've come to serve us. Not because we're so great or we're so amazing, but because you are. And that's the character and nature of who you are. You've shown us that we need to be cleansed and that you offer to clean us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give people here the courage to see their filth. Some people will never even be able to see how filthy their lives are until they know that you are good, they know that you love them, and that you know they know that you have come to clean them. And so, Lord, I pray that they would see in the face of your son, Jesus, the offer to be cleansed, and that they would receive you and be cleansed by you. And for those who are here this morning, Lord, who have been cleansed by you, I pray that we would stand in the power of the proclamation that we are clean, not because we feel clean. We are clean because you have declared us clean. We are clean because you have cleaned us in the name and in the victory of Jesus. And that by your spirit, you would stir our hearts to be a foot-washing people a people who would treat power differently, a people who would think of greatness differently, a people who would look to serve others first, to be an others first kind of people because you served us so beautifully, marvelously, wonderfully well. We do not deserve it. We could not earn it. But the God of the heavens, the God who put the stars in the sky, bends to us, to cleanse us fully, totally, and completely. Lord, let that astonish us. Let that change our lives forever. It's in your name we pray.